looking at your market is actually the number one place to start because you don't have a product if there's no market to buy it. So you really need to look at who are my end users and what service am I giving them by providing this product and look at what problems are you solving and making sure that the problems you're solving and then work out what are they willing to pay for these problems to be solved. And then you sort of work backwards to see if you have a product or not. Mama! Let's reimagine mom life together. Mama House Schools is your hub for relatable support and helpful resources that help you fuel yourself alongside motherhood. Your identity is bigger than mom. And whatever your goals are, together, we're making them a reality. Life can be a lot like a game sometimes. And we are dealt a hand that we want to throw back in and we want a reshuffle. We are not happy with the deck that we have been handed. And it's up to us to play that game, to reevaluate how we can make it work for us, how we can move it around, and what position we do have. What strategies can we implement? What tools can we use and make it work until we get a reshuffle and we get to try something else out? And today we're talking about how to do that, how it initially starts, how you continue through life, how do you get excited, how do you build up that general confidence in who you are, and how do you also bring that into conversations with your kids or into your next passion project or venture? And Susie, our guest today, is the CEO and founder of Scanties, which is an anti-shapewear undergarments revolutionizing the shapewear industry. Scanties gently enhances the natural silhouette. It doesn't alter or manipulate it with restrictive fabric like we see in some other traditional shapewear. And as a single mom of three, Susie transformed her life's challenges into a global business, leveraging her engineering background and design experience to launch Scanties in Australia and the U.S., Scanty's anti-shapewear does go beyond just the label, though. It's really a powerful movement around anti-shapewear and designed to empower women to feel comfortable, confident, and beautiful in their own skin. And today we talk about Susie really navigating being a bit blindsided, stepping into divorce, and being that single mom of three, how she has kept her thoughts about the experience and really navigated conversations with her children and how maybe sometimes when we don't love and like someone, we still have to create a positive relationship with others with that person and what that looks like. We talk about the different lives that Susie has lived, how she has stepped up the confidence and courage to really bring on these different personas and opportunities that she's had throughout life, whether it was being in China or starting different businesses and then also stepping into just mom life and what that looks like. We also talk a little bit about how sometimes the hardest things that happen in our life is when other people's opinions are projected on us for what our life should look like. And we talk about specifically what this has looked like for her and her mom in different seasons. This is such a good conversation. So real. So good. So let's dive in. Susie, I'm so excited to have you here. We are an international community in the sense that we have community members all over the world outside of just the U.S., but I think you're our first international interview on the podcast, and so I'm super excited to have you here and connect. I want to jump in and talk about how you've transitioned through multiple navigations of your life into being this powerhouse women, single mom of three business owner doing really cool things. And I want to take it back to when you really got blindsided 
and your husband at the time was leaving you because I feel like that was the catapult to move everything forward. So take us to what Susie's day-to-day life looked like then and what your self-worth looked like, what the day-to-day looked like in your family dynamic to then being like, whoa, this is changing. Definitely. Well, I was blindsided, but we actually split up a year later. So I had sort of 12 months to sort of ask those exact questions, like what you've just asked then. He went on a boys trip to Vegas and he came back and I could just feel something was different. Something was, so I'd been left with three kids. I think there must've been four, two and a baby at that stage for a week while he went to Vegas. And we had lunch when he got back and he sat me down and he said, okay, now you need to make yourself happy. Like it's your, it's, you've got to do some things that make yourself happy. And my mouth has dropped because I was like, I'm sorry, is this the person that's just been away in Vegas for a week while I looked after our three kids? And you to come back here and tell me and <laughs> turn around and make myself happy. <laughs> that was like, whoa. Okay. And it was from that day on the energy had shifted. So something had happened over there that had changed his energy. And I will also just preface this with, he did have his father was going through early onset dementia. So he was dealing with that sort of, he had other struggles going on in his life, which I'm very aware of, but I think that probably makes a person behave differently as well. Like they start questioning what's life about. He was on this big mission. Life's supposed to be fun. We're supposed to be living this fun life. And I was like, okay, anyway, so with three, I think you skipped the part where you have to look after the three young kids. So at that stage I'd taken, I was an engineer and when the kids were growing, when they were little, I was still working, but just part-time as an engineer. And because Max was still a baby, I was still on maternity leave at this time. I was on maternity leave still and trying to make the marriage work. And I tried everything. I tried to join him. He was a building developer. So they often have fancy lunches and they're at bars and doing all the fun stuff. And he also had his business partner had split up with his wife. So he was single with no kids. So it's like business meeting at the bar or do you want to come home and do bath, dinner, bed? Like, you know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> but it's, it's a pretty easy choice, isn't it? If you have to work. And anyway, so that didn't help as well. But so I started joining them at bars and getting babysitters and then trying to do that life and be a mom. And I think it was about three months into that. I was like, I can't, I'm like dying here. And so that's when I actually first, a friend said, oh, you should go and see my friend. She was like a a spiritual counselor. And that was when I started to actually look at me, myself, what am like, I suppose you're walking around blind. I think at that point, you've got no idea who you are. I had the total mother martyr thing going on. So sacrificing for everyone else instead of yourself and kids first always never filled my cup ever. And so I started doing things like going to the gym. I got a personal trainer. I started seeing this counselor as well who started preparing me for the end. So I was lucky in that. Although I was already blind, I was still in the marriage. So I actually got to work through a bit of it within the marriage still. So by the time he actually left, I'd actually done a lot of the work, so I was prepared. So one of the big things that, so she said, so what's your biggest fear? And I said, well, I'm going to be parenting by myself. And she said, you're already doing that. (laughs) But this way you're actually going to get like every other weekend off and you'll get more support from people because you're a single mom. And so that was sort of my first aha moment. I was actually already doing it all myself. So that sort of took away that fear. And then I said, well, what about the kids? What about the kids? 
And I've done some research about this as well. And she, her, the spiritual viewers, they chose you both as their parents. So they came down here choosing this experience. So they chose to have you and they chose to have him and they chose for this to be what happened. So you, that, don't you take that on board and go and make yourself the martyr on that as well. So we swept that off the table. And then that's when I did some research into divorced parents and kids, et cetera. And I found that kids relate 50% to the father and 50% to the mother. So that was good to know as well. So I had that. And then I also had the next question, which is, who am I? So a very large question to answer. And you have to, and I'm still peeling back layers of that. That was nine or 10 years ago. Now I'm still peeling back layers of the who am I question. And what does Susie like to do? And who, like, where do you like to go? What make, what fuels you with passion? What lights up your life? And trying to just gain little glimpses of that. So by the time he, by the time he left, which was nearly a year later, and it was actually really interesting because he left the night before my birthday. So I didn't realize he'd actually left until my birthday when he think he must have sent a message in the morning. And then by the afternoon, I think he must have called and I said something like, oh, you're not coming to birthday dinner. And he said, oh, I wasn't going to. Oh, I can if you want. I was like, no, no, that's okay. It's fine. So for me, that was great because it drew a really big line in the sand. It's like for someone to walk out on their partner the day before their birthday. And then, so I had to turn up. I wasn't going to go to my birthday dinner until the kid's dad had gone, until my parents' dad had gone. So then on my birthday, I'm there like lying to my family about where daddy is. And so for me, that was like, that was the door slammed so hard shut. It's like, you are never coming back from that one. Yeah. So you had this year, like you said, to build some of this strength and to look for some resources but it's not the same to that moment of you're like, you're really going to leave me the day before my birthday. And you're having to really bring this confidence out of yourself. And you're having to cultivate this strength that you're pulling out of nowhere, right? This is a walk that you've never had to walk before. You don't even have the ability to really be honest with anyone in that moment. So you're coming from a place where you're on your own. That's not something that there's a playbook for. It's something that you have to just cultivate and do. And I know that. But if someone's in a similar scenario, looking back, what would you tell yourself or what would you tell that person now when they're having to really muster up the strength that is in them, but they don't know how to get to it and they're just in survival? How did you get yourself to do that? Well, what I would tell my young, I didn't know this then, but what I would tell my younger self now would be my favorite phrase is rejection is divine protection. That is what is not meant for you will be taken away. And then it clears the path to you to be able to have what is meant for you. And my counselor had been saying, if it's not, had been saying something, if it's not going to be him, there's someone or better out there for you. Like it doesn't have to be that person. He is not the one and only. And so that's what I would tell my younger self is, Like the universe has a bigger plan for you. So if someone's walking away from you and showing you who they are, let them. Like let them show, like this is who I am. I'm a man that will walk away from my family. Okay, then thank you for telling me who you are and thank you for showing me who you are. At the time after I got over the shock, it was actually very funny. I was actually kicking my heels up with delight. (laughs) But it was actually really funny because my mother took took the divorce really hard. I had to deal with that as well. And it ended up that I actually had to move back in with him. Where So 
Another thing that I didn't mention is they also, in their office where they, the building they own, they had two two-bedroom apartments up the top. So they had crash pads already. So it was such an easy out. It wasn't like he was going, he was on someone's couch. It was so yeah. easy to duck in and out. So I actually sent him, oh, we need to move in with you because, and so we actually cohabited, split for three months, which was very interesting, but I think potentially might have helped with the amicability later on because yeah. you have to get used to being amicable with them. And at this point too, I was actually pretty okay. Like I actually felt a weight had been lifted. That 12 months was so such a burden, not knowing what was going on, trying to work on yourself, trying to like, is this happening? Like we tried to go to counseling. He'd just not turn up sometimes. Like he'd be drunk yes. with his business partner and just not turn up. It was such a burden when it was actually, I was like, oh, thank God. But the big thing, and at the time he started his business, et cetera, the big shock, the point where you're probably talking about came six months later when I get the phone call that their company's gone bankrupt. So now I've got the three kids. Before he was still supporting, there was money. We had, we could do stuff. And then I get the phone call. Okay. Now you've got three kids and you've got nothing. Yeah. Wow. That is so heavy and so hard. But again, you're just continually pulling yourself up where you're like, okay, we're going to have to cohabitate. But one of the things that you mentioned that I think is super important here is other people's reflections and opinions on what your life journey is. And this happens from like how you parent to what type of blankets or food you give your baby to how you decide to dissolve or continue in your marriage. There are people connected to us that have strong opinions about our lives. And at the end of the day, it's none of their business because it's not their life. And sometimes this comes from a really good place. Sometimes that person really wants to be there for us and they want the best for us and they are really just looking out for us. And sometimes it doesn't. But how did you navigate your own path alongside those opinions and your mom feeling a certain way about the situation and knowing that maybe she wanted the best for you? Maybe it was all in good intention, but you still had to go forward with your path. How do you navigate the outside world when you're just like, look, I'm, I have to have blinders. I have to go through this on my own. That, that was actually the toughest part, I think, actually, was navigating that. I think I really just did it every... I had to really remember that other people's... How other people react to something is their stuff. And it's mm. coming from places that I might not even know about. It's coming from places that they don't even know about. And so it doesn't actually make logical sense. So you just have to really sit in with the, I can only control what I can control, which for me, I probably put a lot of focus on, on keeping the kids happy. And see, the kids were so little. I'm actually having more problems now with them in the divorce than I did back then, because back then they were so little, they didn't question it. It was like daddy's away. And he was away a lot anyway. So it wasn't really that big a deal. Like sometimes you're spending time with daddy and something like they didn't get it. So just staying true to you knowing in your heart that what you're doing is the best thing for you because other people's opinions aren't going to seem logical sometimes. <laughs> they just, yeah. because they're coming from triggers and back stuff and their own patterns when they were kids and all sorts of things that you have no knowledge of. So you might have slight knowledge of some, but they probably, a lot of it's even subconscious. So you've just got to really stick to, you can only control what you can control. You can't control what other people, how other people react. Yeah. I think that's so important. And even as a parent, our kids, we have a little bit maybe more 
patience with because we know that they're children and they have all these different things that they're navigating and emotions. But sometimes they will take things out on us. And I'm sure as you are entering the teen years, you're seeing this more and more, like you said, where you're like, okay, that's not about me, but I'm going to figure out how to navigate it. And I'm going to figure out how to go through that. This is a common skill set, whether it's through motherhood, through your relationships, and you've taken it into business as well. But you have quite the fun resume from prior to even having the this situation starting a maternity business with your sister in your 20s, working in China pre-smartphones, building a large gas compressor stations in the middle of Australia. There's that version of Susie. And then there's Susie that's navigating all this stuff with her kids and her husband. So where did these overlap? And how did these all come together, these different versions of you? Well, definitely, I think I wouldn't have navigated it the way that I did if I hadn't had those experiences. In hindsight, you can look back and see how everything has played a part. Everything's played a part in creating who you are. And then that's the person that I could apply to that. So, yeah. Being in China, like starting the maternity business and being in China pre smartphones was, it was so hard. And you, it was so difficult to navigate. I suppose my resilience levels, et cetera, have been built up from a young age. It worked like, that China's not like other Asian countries where they speak English. There was no English. We couldn't even order food at a restaurant, even if we had the characters written down. It would be different at every restaurant what we received. It felt like we were trying to do business with your hands tied behind your back, like trying to order food. Like just the simple thing of eating, sustenance, was difficult. We used to, oh, we, and so we used to have an apartment over there. We used to like, in and out, we'd spend three months there and come back. And so we spent big chunks of time there. And you'd end up having to eat the same thing because we were purely not capable of expanding expanding it unless we had our translator. We used to hire a uni student to be our English translator. And we just had to take her everywhere with us to do the do whatever we needed to do. So I think, and then when we got out of that and I got into the gas compressor station construction, which is so random, but it's actually not, it's very similar because you're under difficult logistics. There was no couriers. I was in charge of planning all the freight. So the big semi-trailers, the big trucks, loading them up, working which loads could go on the way to job it. And because it's such a remote site, if we're down a part, say, where the welders need a specific gasket or something, and we don't have it, and we stand down that site, the money that costs is so enormous. You have to do whatever you can to get that gasket to site. So you're dropping things out to planes to get people to take on. We used to charter a little plane out of a regional airport, so then fly to the regional airport, then charter the plane. But there were weight limitations. So all of that, I think that was difficult circumstances as well. So I suppose I'm well-trained. <laughs> I'm like the Navy SEAL in life difficult circumstances. So for me, I go into problem-solving mode. So the day that I found out he went bankrupt was the day I decided to start the business and make it into a big thing and I actually sat there and it's really I was quite serene really it's okay we've got no money what's the next step and I'm like operation and I didn't even have a name for it at the time but I'm going to make the product I'd been wearing them for about eight years so I already knew the product and so I got all our frequent fly points and I booked three trips back to China which I had sworn I would never do after the last manufacturing and so that was how I coped with that huge load of uncertainty was I'm a problem solver and a planner but I have a plan in place 
I can work towards it. And I think that still holds true always for me. Whatever there is, if I can work out a plan, then I'm okay and I can just slowly execute it. And some days may be slower than others, but once I have a plan and I know where I'm going, I'm okay. If I don't have a plan, I'm like out of chaos. And there's been a few times when that's happened. So I know that feeling is just utter devastation. (laughs) Oh my gosh. Okay. So let's unpack this a little bit. So your first kind of stint in China and also the large gas company compressor station business, that pre-kids in the middle of having kids when they're younger, what season of life are you in? That was all pre-kids. So I finished in the office when I was, when I had the little ones part-time, I was in the office. I didn't go to site anymore. Okay. And then your ex-husband's business goes bankrupt. And you have created this product. You're saying you've been wearing it for eight years. So you were just like creating your own version of these shorts that for yourself. And you're like, I love these. And then eight years later, you're like, okay, I'm ready. We're going to start a business with this. Is that what they looked like? I suppose back in, I first made them in 2008. It was right when we were exiting the business, the maternity, because it was GSC, et cetera. And I got terrible traits. And I started wearing dresses before before that, I must have been wearing pants or shorts. or so. I just wore stuff, avoided it because of the chafe. But I wanted to start feeling more feminine. I wanted to wear dresses. And I was like, well, this is really annoying. And so I actually went just looking for like a beige-colored cotton vibe short or something. And they didn't yeah. exist. So I was like, right, okay. And it was literally one of the last trips there. And I was like, I just got some fabric. And the original pair was more like a thin sort of a slightly thicker pantyhose fabric with uh, elastic on the top and elastic around the legs and I actually wore underwear with them. So it was a different and then at hybrid it sort of morphed over the years and I suppose chafe is not something that's spoken about so I didn't know anybody else had this problem. I don't know what I thought other people were doing but over the years I had friends that say you're wearing skirts and dresses all the time how are you not getting chafe? And so I told them about the pants and they're like where can I get them? So I hadn't even it took me about three or four years to even realize there was a commercial viability for them, that there was actually a product people wanted. And so that is how, and then I morphed them over the time, what I did like of that and even fabric availability. I just picked whatever I could pick. So I just needed a, basically a barrier that would go on <laughs> that was comfortable yeah. and thin and light. And so, yeah, now I can choose much better fabrics, et cetera. But that's how it sort of evolved into this and then the Scanty's product. I um so when I went over there, I even changed the design again because I didn't used to have the underwear merged into it. I used to yeah. do the double layer, but I had a friend tell me that she gets she's highly susceptible to infection if she has anything synthetic near that area. So that's what made me decide to do the research and work on the airflow needed for the the cotton panel that's in there. So after talking to women and what their issues, I managed to sort of merge about three or four issues into one, which was great. Amazing. Okay. But you act like this is such a simple, yep, I had this idea. I'm going to fly to China. I'm going to execute this. But that's not real life. (laughs) That's not how that goes together. So for someone that maybe has a clothing idea, or it doesn't even have to be clothing, but they want to bring a business to life. We chatted about before we pitched to record, this was similar for the Mama House Goals app is I said, I was like, I have this vision. I don't really know how I'm going to create it, but I'm going to figure it out. And I think it's like what we were talking about before. There are certain things in life that there isn't a playbook. You have to just jump in and take the leap and figure it out. But again, looking back, giving someone some advice that's, okay, I want to take this bigger lift to create this thing that doesn't exist. 
just booking a flight to China and showing up and like making things happen, it, there's more to it than that. So what are some of the like general baby steps to bring an idea to life, especially a clothing product? Well, the, the beauty of China now is actually so much more accessible with WeChat because everyone has smartphones now. So now everyone's contactable yeah. and they have WeChat and WeChat has the translate button. So to communicate between us, it's so much easier now. However, so really, I would give my advice from when I started the maternity clothing brand, because that was actually, that was when I really started in that industry. So this, I just jumped back in, but I've had six years experience over there. So it's very different, although it was a very different country, but I, it was, I'd had that experience to, to land on. So I think the first step is find someone who has done what you want to do. I think talk to someone who's already doing it because everyone is so willing to share share information, share ideas. And then my next step, my next suggestion is always to find a prototype. You need to find a prototype and then see, look at the, you need to look at the numbers of it is the big part of it because you might think you've got this great idea, but then by the time you work out how much the fabric's going to cost and how much the manufacturing's going to cost, you're only going to make $5 at the end per one. And then how much is it going to cost you to market? And Or they need to retail at a price that your customer base won't pay. I think looking at your market is actually the number one place to start because you don't have a product if there's no market to buy it. So you really need to look at who are my end users and what service am I giving them by providing this product and look at what problems are you solving and making sure that the problems you're solving and then work out what are they willing to pay for these problems to be solved. And then you sort of work backwards to see if you have a product or not. Yeah. I love that. And I love that you talk about your problem started with something that you were experiencing and you solved it for yourself first. And I think this is so important for us in life or business that before we give advice to someone, it has to be something that we've been able to solve for ourselves first. Before we start a service or a product or anything else, it has to be something that we've done, experienced and built first. And I think that's so important. I love the chafing example because I was a fairly petite child. My legs were the biggest part on my body, though. I always felt like my legs were bigger. And so for that reason, I didn't wear a ton of shorts and I was a dancer. So I would have tights on a lot, which prevents chafing. So it wasn't something that I really experienced. And I remember I was in my early 20s and I was at a fair with my husband, who is a bigger guy. He's always been bigger. I'd heard him talk about chafing as soon as we started dating. And we were at this fair and I was wearing jeans and I had gained a little bit of weight. I was still like a fairly small person and I was chafing at the top of where my jeans met. And I was just like, this is the worst experience. Why don't people talk about this? And he's like, they do. You just haven't experienced it yet. But it's something that other people deal with. And I think that you're so right that especially with women, they carry these different identities with what chafing is associated with, whether it's body image, body size, any of those different things. And so it's not something that a lot of women have historically talked about until more recently. And so putting a product out there to help support it, but your product doesn't even help with just chafing. Like I think about also just like running around with little kids. I wear shorts under all my dresses because the chance of that dress coming up is very high and we're running around and doing different things. So I think there's this beautiful transition to, hey, I have this problem. This is something that more women need to be talking about and I want to support them in this way. I'm going to figure out how to create it. And now you have. 
And again, talking about these skill sets that you have cultivated in yourself that maybe you don't even know are so amazing. But I'm curious to know that problem solving mindset that you're talking about and this putting a solution out into the world. How does this show up for you as a mom, especially as your kids are getting older now? How have you implemented these skill sets and habits into your children to say, we're going to see a problem, we're going to fix the problem, and we're going to work through it rather than this victim mentality? Definitely. I don't even know if I'm that good at that with my kids. (laughs) I am. We are learning at the moment. Um, We're now... Like I probably have not given them enough responsibility. Although being a single mom, they naturally get more responsibility than a lot of kids because there's only one of me. So I can't actually be here all the time. So I probably failed the youngest the most that he doesn't really know how to cook yet. And he's 10 and probably the eldest was cooking when she was eight. So I probably have failed him a little bit, but I think they are around my middle one, especially because she's really, she's. If we're driving, she's nearly like my PA. So I'm like, dude, like I, we work through the problem solving process together all the time. Well, look at that. Look at that. They'll do that. And I call it pressing buttons. So to yeah. me, that me and the kids, we call it press. I said, if you press enough buttons, eventually the solution will happen. <laughs> Mostly. I love 99% that. of the time. Yeah. Just keep pressing buttons and we'll eventually dig down to it. Um, and so my middle one, I think she is inherently getting that because she's like my little off cider. I'm like, we're trying to find, what does this do? How do we find that? Because when you're driving and obviously you can't touch your phone, but, and text and search and things, but she can. So I think she's really getting it a lot. My eldest one is a very, she's the arty, the arty creative style. So I'm not sure probably. I'm not sure if she even desires to problem solve. <laughs> it's not just not her drive. It's not her personality. She's oh, okay. She's more just happy to go. She just go with the flow. So to her, it doesn't yeah. matter. And yeah, my youngest, I need to work on it a little bit more. <laughs> well, none of us are perfect parents, but you've obviously modeled and led how to navigate what life throws at you and what changes, right? And whether it's now or it's later, they're going to come back and see how you've shown up and led yourself and what that looks like. But we definitely can't be perfect parents all the time, every day. And we do have different personalities as moms and as our kids, right? And you talk about more the art approach. And I think about family members of mine and people that maybe look at problem solving a different way. And it's not that maybe they're not problem solving, but they're just not seeing the problem the same way. And their solution is, I'm going to go paint or I'm going to listen to music or I'm going to do this. And it's not a solve. It's just a different solve than maybe us more left-brained kind of analytical people are going to take. So I think that is, you know, you are showcasing by example. You know, we had chatted a little bit about taking it back to the divorce, how, and you were saying this is actually even getting harder in this age group than it was when it originally happened. Something I hear a lot in our community when they've navigated something like this is, how do I be mad at this person and frustrated with the scenario and not put that on my kids? And you talked a little bit about the 50-50 and that these kids are 50% of each of you and that's going to show up. But I'd love to to talk a little bit more about how do you not really like someone anymore and not love the decisions they've made, but not project that onto the rest of your family? I actually see it psychologist every week she's more a mentor counselor etc and 
Because these kids are starting to push back and they're using strong words like I hate him and really strong things like that. And so she's like, no, and do you know what? He's actually a really nice guy. He's just terrible at parenting. He's, he employs like a militant authoritarian style. We know how well that goes down with kids, especially when they come from a soft, warm, feminine family and then they go into this militant style, which like surprise, surprise, which one they prefer. So anyway, we have... And I think he'll be fantastic once they're adult kids. So he'll be like, he's like great with his mates and great for, so once he treats them like a friend and stops trying to parent them, it will actually be, it'll be great. So anyway, she had, she has a term that we all used to call him. We call him the muddle-headed wombat. And so it's a wombat is a, is a funny Australian animal, like sort of burrows in the ground and doesn't really, it sort of like fumbles along. So by that, she says, all it means is that he's just a bit muddled in the head. It's not that he doesn't love you. It's not that he doesn't want to be there for you. He's just a bit muddled with the way he shows it. And I find that's working really well for them because sometimes they go, no, he's not muddled. I just hate him. And I'm like, no, he absolutely loves you a lot. I always instill, he loves you a lot. He's just getting muddled with how he shows it. So yeah. as they get into this old age, it's trying to preserve their relationship with him to make it till their 20s and they can actually repair it and bond. So how, whatever you can do to preserve their memories back to yourself, like any memories, you can remember all the bad stuff, can't you? you? You forget all the good stuff, but the bad stuff is ingrained in your brain. So so just to try and diffuse any of the bad memories into that sort of muddled territory, it's like that was just him being a bit silly and always talking about his behaviour not calling him names, stuff although we've named him a muddlehead wombat. It's more that he's muddled in the head. He's just a bit muddled up. So he's a, so that's how we've chosen to deal with it yeah. in our household under great guidance from my great counselor. Yeah. I love that. And you're figuring out how it works for you because it's not going to be the same for everyone, right? And we're all just trying our best and figuring out how to make it all work. So I love that. And it may look different. Your oldest is 13 as you get closer to that 20 mark, like you're saying. It may transition over the next seven years, but I love that you're finding a path for now and that you're bringing in support and resources, whether it's through a professional psychologist or even just like friends and family sometimes. I think that's important. Now, for you as the mom and the individual that's maybe also frustrated with how your partner, your ex-partner, partner in parenting is showing up, but you're trying to put on like a good face, if you will, for your kids. How are some of the ways that you navigate that? What is even just from general self-care to mom routine for Susie? What does that look like for you to almost, I picture you shutting the bathroom door, taking a deep breath and sitting down. Like, what are some of the ways that you navigate that? Yeah, you're right. You just missed the bath. I am a bath person. I'm a water (laughs) baby. I hop in there. I have a bath every day. And that is my, and I like to play a little game called bathtub time travel. So you can, because if you lie in a bath with water and you close your eyes, you could actually be in any bath, in any place in the whole world. You could be in the most exclusive Dubai hotel and it would feel the same. You could be in like a seaside resort overlooking the beautiful ocean. So I like to just play this little visualization game because if you're in it and you closed your eyes there, it would actually feel the exact same. So that mm. is my true zen, my zen place. I love that. And I do a lot of breathing. <laughs> Take three deep breaths. Breathing is massive. And I love music. So 
if I need to get myself into or out of a funk, I'll put on, I've got like a happy playlist, but then I've also got like Enya or something. If I just need to be soothed, I listen to a lot of meditation, rainforest noises. I'll put that in the background or yeah, I'm very audio driven. I really love like sounds really help to lift me up or to soothe me. And so I use music a lot. I love cooking. If I'm in a funk, for me, cooking is my meditation. I know that's not definitely not the same for everyone, but if I get in there and I'll cook, I won't just cook one thing. I'll cook like four things at once because if I'm chopping yeah. onions, I'll use three dishes that need chopped onions. And so I've got yeah. all the stuff going. It's nearly like my DJ decks. <laughs> cooking all the dishes and I've like got that baking and that's over there and it's it's my happy place. So the kids don't eat most yeah. of it, so I just freeze it. for I just freeze it in portions for me so I can have adult food. <laughs> I love that it comes back to, though, knowing what you need and finding that, right? Whether it's the rainforest noise or the different playlists or it is bath or it's cooking, it's knowing, okay, what do I need now? And checking in with myself and just navigating that through the different pieces. I think that is so important. You definitely have this adventure like streak through you, right? Where you make big decisions, big changes, things that maybe to other people would take a lifetime to build up the confidence to do. And you're like, all right, here we go. And you may be doing it scared, but you're still taking that action. And you shared with me that you're thinking about relocating to the United States, which is a huge move. So I'd love for you to talk a little bit about just like making that decision and how this could be applicable to maybe someone else isn't looking to change countries, but they have something that feels really big and scary and life altering and they're trying to figure out how to actually decide to take action on that. So I suppose it was percolating around. My daughter's really good at drama. There's not a lot of drama options in Australia. Obviously, the business is growing in the US, so it would make sense for me time zone-wise. And and I suppose it's about June, July is when I start like ticking, ticking, ticking. And then I visited Texas and I visited California. And it was, I just drove past the high school and there was actually something in my stomach that just dropped. It actually wasn't when I drove past, I went, wow, that, that was in Laguna Beach. And I drove past <laughs> the high school, of course I was. <laughs> That's where my friends live. And I drove past the high school and I went, wow, look at that high school. That is so cool. It overlooks the ocean. It was the big gridiron pitch and everything was amazing. And I, it was the next day when I was driving and then I got the hit in my stomach. It was like, oh, wow, I could really maybe it's here maybe here is where because i looked at the rents and the rents are exorbitant so i was like no definitely not looking to be that's ridiculous and then it was something like it was something just dropped in it was like a sense of intuition i yeah. suppose it was, it was like maybe here this could be the place so then i brought the kids over in december and just we just assimilated in we went and played basketball the basketball courts like we went to my kids love looking at the grocery store <laughs> Ralph's is their favorite shop. <laughs> and so they just stand and look at all the aisles and the grocery store and we work out where you can get a coffee from and where is the pizza and where's the best burger and the, and all of those. So we'd work what beach and just, just we just spent time, not sightseeing, yeah. not packing our days, just time in the location. And then all three of them said that they could definitely see, so see themselves living there. So the two girls were definitely on board. It was my son was like, oh, I don't know. And then in the end, he said, oh, I think I've changed my mind, but I think I want to come. And so I think then what I start doing is I start telling people about the goal. If you start telling yeah. people, you start becoming accountable. So whatever your goal is, start telling, make the decision you're going to do it and then just start telling people about it. And you can back yourself into a corner that you end up having to do it because you've told so many people. 
about it. Another one I do is book flights. So booking the flights for the China to go back over and do it. I booked three flights. So the flight, the date comes and you can't push up the date. Like it's a firm date set yeah. in stone. And now we have a firm date set in stone for the moon is the application for my daughter to a drama, dramatic arts school. And they would start in the fall of 2025. So obviously, but she's not even into this school yet. But it gives you a date, yeah. a firm date with a goal that you have to work towards. I think you have to trick yourself a little bit by having something that is a firm date that you have to work towards and then feel like an, having an assignment due, really. You yeah. eventually get it done, but you've got that deadline in place. I think for anyone that wants to start anything, find something that locks you into it, like a what something that's time dependent, and then start telling people you're going to do it. And then you're more likely to act. Yeah. I think that is such a good feedback. And I love that you talk about that you went and visited and it wasn't just like a kind of high-end vacation. Laguna Beach is definitely a specific style of the United States and it's a different kind of little world down there. But at the same time, you were not just focusing on that. You were saying like, let's just go to a restaurant. Let's go to a grocery store, a very general, basic grocery store. Let's see what day-to-day life would feel like in this place. And I think that is such a good takeaway to say whether it's moving and relocating or it's taking on a new habit or a new goal and saying, okay, what would this look like in reality? And not dressing it up to this big, beautiful thing, but just saying, okay, what would it look like if you went to lunch and you felt this way? Or what would it look like if you did this thing with your life and really just made it part of what reality is? And I think that is a really good first step. And then, like you said, holding yourself accountable by sharing it and speaking it out loud. Now, being a single mom, you have your kids that you can speak this to. But how do you cultivate other relationships in your life so that you have that person that's maybe pouring back into you or that you're able to share these big, crazy ideas with? as you're really stepping into kind of this unknown, whether it's moving or starting your business, or maybe it's a big goal in your business, how do you find people that can support you when it's not a partner? I will confess, I still live in the same suburb I lived when I grew up. (laughs) So I still have a lot of like my old childhood friends, plus the friends I've met along the way. Plus I have my great counselor who can give it to me from, she's she's got more professional training for resources and advice. And then I, I also have a business network as well. Though. So I often enroll in courses and things to be surrounded by people that are doing the same sorts of things. So you can bounce like the business side of things. And yeah. they might know someone knows a, an immigration lawyer and someone knows this and someone knows that for the actual like the business side, but also mentorship and talking about how can I scale my business so that I can make this dream come true. And so I suppose I pull from a lot of resources and I'm really lucky that I'm in a location that and have been my whole life so I have access to uh, it's like a tight little community and I have access to a lot of old friends and that's one of the reasons why Laguna Beach is enticing is because we have friends from here that live there so they've already got a community set up over there so it makes it a whole lot easier to come into a community it's not as scary and frightening so I think definitely building the network around that is yeah is how I'm able to do all of that. Oh my gosh. Susie, this was such a good conversation. You're such an amazing person. And I am just so inspired by you and how you show up as a business owner and as a mom. 
Before we have our few last final questions, I'd love for you to just tell us a little bit more about Scanties because while you're this amazing mom and business owner, you do have this amazing product that so many other women need. So tell us a little bit about really what Scanties are. I love the concept that it is like anti-shapewear and loving your body like as it is, but giving us that real support and things that we need. So tell us about where Scanties is now, where women can buy from, how they can get them and really try out a pair. Okay, fabulous. So Scanties are anti-shapewear. We're an anti-shapewear movement though. We want you to feel amazing in your body just as you are right now. So it's not just the product. The product is the physical aspect of the business, but then we have the emotional and the mental side as well. So we're really so we're really fixated on our messaging being about, I'm sorry, but two pet, the post-COVID recommendation of two pairs of Spanx to like, that just blew me away. And it's like, when is enough going to be enough? So it is just, you don't need to do that to yourself. And women are, and we really want to promote the idea that women are supposed to have stomachs. We're supposed to be curvy, like the statues of Venus, the goddess of beauty. She doesn't have a flat stomach and she's not wearing any Spanx. <laughs> So that's like the real messaging behind it. And then the product is, it's basically a hybrid of super thin nylon yoga pants. Like we, I bottled it off the yoga pant waistband, which displaces the pressure point. So you don't get muscle on top, but it's super comfortable and still stays up. So I would, when I was making them, I was like, what is really comfortable? And I don't want it digging in, but I want to feel like I'm just like, like I never want to take them off like you sleep in these they're so comfy and so that's why I use the yoga pant top and then they're super thin nylon and super stretchy but the underwear section is all cotton so nothing in the underwear panel is has got synthetic over it so it's got maximum readability so anyone that's susceptible to any form of infection is not going to have that problem there was when I was in the U.S. last quite two times ago Adele was actually all over the news because she'd be wearing Spanx for her performances and they didn't breathe. And she was saying, I've got this infection from wearing my Spanx on stage because there was no airflow, basically. And she said, I sweat up there and it just had nowhere to go. So we have celebrity endorsement that Spanx actually causes that. And it's also, Spanx is also, it's not good for your organs. We've got so many people with IBS and fertility issues and constricting all of that area down there is just not healthy for you. And so then I've done them also in a great range of like prints, et cetera, because I wanted to make it like, you want to put them fun. So we have fun, like feisty feline, which I wear when I feel, I want to feel like I have a powerhouse day, or I've got these like princess pirate, which is like aqua with skulls on it, the sort of the slightly rebellious, but pretty at the same time. And then beautiful pink florals as well. So if your skirt blows up, you're covered. Like it doesn't matter because they're cute to be seen. We obviously do planes and et cetera as well for going under sheer clothes and et cetera. But so they'll give you a smooth line, but they don't move you any. It just is just celebrating your own contour. So without, if you don't have anything digging in anywhere, your contour is beautiful. We don't need to be pushing it and prodding it and sucking it and squeezing it. And so that's what that, so the product is the tool. Basically, you put the product on and then instantly away, no more chafe. I was actually walking around this morning and I hadn't, I wasn't fully dressed yet. And I was like, oh, and I was chafing. And I was like, get the pants on. I put them on. I went, oh my God, why didn't you do that sooner? <laughs> it's, it just takes that away because once you're in that, if you start chafing, the negative chatter in your head that goes on is just, you spiral. It's like, oh, I shouldn't have been, like you all this body shame and body, it's an awful place to be. So 
that you put them on. And also, even if you've got something on a tight waist, underwear with a tight waistband and you're spilling over the top, I think that brings out the same sort of chatter cycle. It just feels terrible. And so we're Scanties, S-K-A-N-T-I-E-S on Instagram and scanties.co for our website. Amazing. We'll definitely link all that below. I think they're so fun. They're so great. And definitely, like I said, running around with my toddlers. I definitely like having something underneath because even I need it for the chafing too. But even if I didn't need it for that, I need it for the real life navigating, moving around. So good. Now, as the women that listen to this podcast, they're trying to navigate what their next move is. And sometimes that I always say means like taking a shower today. Sometimes it means just getting out of bed, getting dressed. And sometimes it means booking three flights to China and starting a business <laughs> and taking that version of Susie approach. But there is no right answer, right? There is no way to navigate what's next for you except that feeling, that nudge inside of you. So I'm curious, how do you pick yourself up from those darker, harder places or those days that maybe you don't want to get up, you don't want to get dressed, but you know that Susie 10, 15, 20 years even down the road needs you to get out of bed that day and take action. How do you do that self-talk to move forward? So definitely the be kind to yourself is huge with me. Be kind. If you're having a rough day, I think do what it uh, do whatever you can to just move 1%. As you said, it might yeah. be having a shout. Like whatever your 1% is, just do something to, do to move that 1% needle because there's actually, I'm not sure if you've heard of the book Atomic Habits by James Clare. Yeah. He says if we just do something towards that 1% each day, by the end of the year, it's like an exponential curve how much further yeah. we've come. So your 1% might even be stand in the mirror and say nice things to yourself. You know, like that could be enough of a one. Be kind to yourself. What can you do to help yourself feel better? Stand in the mirror and say, you're doing a good job. You've got this. Like you've got pretty eyebrows. Anything that makes you feel good. If you're not at that level, find something smaller. Like I like my elbows or something. Like you can just, you've got to, everyone's at their starting point and you have to work your way up, but you only have to do 1%. So I think that if people can kind of don't look at the big end thing, just look at the 1%, just do 1% yeah. each day. And I think that seems so achievable. And so it doesn't seem like you're trying to climb such a mountain and just know that little by little that 1% does add up. Might be go outside and put your feet in the grass and look at the trees or the flowers or something. I'm big into like mini meditations and mini breath work and YouTube has 8 million. So just just Google or, and there's actually like a heap. If you feel really bad about yourself and I had a really bad year a couple of years ago, and I use this all the time. There's Abraham Hicks. There's a million 15-minute meditations. And basically, they give you a, a, just a different perspective of your situation. And it's basically everything comes from infinite love. And But I find that those little 15-minute meditations can snap you out of a lot. <laughs> yeah, I love that so much. And I think the important like differentiator for that is it's 1% overall right? It's not 1% in 10 things today. Don't move 1% in your fitness, 1% in your you know, personal well-being, 1% in your business and all of that. It's not 1% as like you as a whole, one thing forward. And I think that ambitious women and moms and people that want to do it all, we 
often make that mistake and we can say, okay, I'm going to do 1% there and there. And then by the end of the year, I'm going to have all these things. And so, no, let's take it back. Exactly. And I'm equally guilty. I think we all can be guilty, but having that self-awareness to take a second and say, okay, no, just 1% in this one spot today. And that's what I'm going to do. So I love that feedback. Now, other than moving to the United States and really just making it through your day-to-day and your 1%, what is a goal that you're really excited about right now? Something that you're just lit up about and moving towards? I think actually planning my 2024. So I'm actually going after this to a planning session with a business mentor that we work together. And I'm super excited. As I said, I just read the book, Atomic Habits, and that's talks. And it's really clever because I'm a bit all over the place. I've got stuff I'm whatever, the squirrel over the nuts there. And he just really helps you to, what he does is he tricks you. A bit like how I've already done some tricks in my life, but he tricks you to slide in the positive habits you want to implement into the habits that you're already doing. For example, I'll give a simple one, like I want to do a great gratitude affirmation or something in the morning. You slide that in. When I press the coffee machine, I do my gratitude meditation. So you're already going to press the coffee machine, but you just slide in the meditation with it so something I'm already going to do and then you slide in it with it so it's called like habit stacking and things like that and yeah. so I've got, there's a whole section of business that me and um, my friend Anna are going to actually put all the habits into our business to just make 2024 a rock star year. I love that and yeah habit stacking is something that I definitely want to build on as well where I've implemented it for this year is I have had horrible skin since I quit nursing my second child and now I'm pregnant with our third. And so I've been really navigating like good skincare routines. And this year, one of the things that I'm trying out is red light therapy on my skin. And when I'm using that red light therapy at the end of the night, I'm stacking it with reading. So that way I'm like, okay, I have to sit here anyways for 20 minutes. I'm going to sit here and I'm going to read because otherwise I don't prioritize reading. So then I can make that my moment. And I think that is so great. You're bringing it into other areas of your life too, through business and whatever else. So we'll have to have you back in here. What are some of the things that you're habit stacking and how you're doing that? So I absolutely love that. So you recommended where to find scanties. We're going to link all that below. How else can women just be in your energy and follow you and really just follow along in your journey? They can join to the newsletter. So we, and we're also about to start our YouTube channel. That's a big 2024. And it's actually going to be very much along the lines of using the habits and building our 2024. So I'm going to be documenting 2024 on the YouTube channel, implementing all so with a step-by-step of how I'm actually doing it. What does my day look like? Like, what are we doing today? So that to sort of get a bit behind the scenes of like how Scanty is even built and growing, et cetera. So I'm super excited for that. That's a big, that's a big leap out there too. Amazing. That is so exciting. Susie, if you were to just pour into someone listening, you've been in some really big transitions, also like dark, hard places, and just like superwoman on top of different seasons. What is a piece of advice or an action item that you would give someone that they could do today? I think it would be to really look at inside and just really treasure the beautiful divine being that you are. And a little saying I would like to leave is you have been put here for your light to help other people shine theirs. So by loving yourself and giving your light permission to shine, you actually allow others to shine there. Your purpose on this earth is to 
shine your light so bright that everybody can feel it. Oh my gosh. Susie, thank you so much for your time. You're such an amazing human and I hope you make it to the US because then we can meet up a little more easily. Definitely. It was great chat, Kelsey. Thanks so much for having me. Sometimes the smallest act of love is all a mom needs to feel reinvigorated. If you can relate to that, I'd feel so supported by your five-star rating and written review. Take a moment and let me know what you thought about this episode.